1: Hello everyone and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Menzel, aka Meners, and in this edition of the podcast I'm going to be crossing to disparate parts of the globe to speak to some of News Corp's finest cricket journalists, to kick things off, I've got Pete Lawler from The Australian, who has unfortunately been tasked with following the Australian cricket team around. And then we're going to bring it all home with Richard Earle from the Adelaide Advertiser. So on the line now from the UK is Pete Lawler. Peter, how are you surviving?
2: <laughs> Holding up pretty well, man. I thought you might be crossing the Benhorn in Toronto <laughs> as well.
1: Has he made a dash up there, has he?
2: Well, he could. I, I think it's on the
1: cards. Yeah. Well, well. There's so much cricket coming in the next week. I am really excited. I mean, there's England v. Australia. There's West Indies v. Sri Lanka. There's Ireland, India. There's the Global T20 League you spoke of. And then the Aussies go to Zimbabwe for some T20s. So I'm in cricket heaven.
2: (laughs) Never stops, does it? And it's football season. World Cup and State of Origin this week, didn't
1: we? Yeah, it's a huge week of sport. But look, I've got you on the line because we unfortunately have to talk about this one day series in England that Australia had been thrashed five nil, which culminated in a, a painful one wicket loss in the final game of the series to give England their first ever five nil whitewash over the Australians in any format. Tell me, how is the, the the team holding up?
2: Well, they're pretty flat. It's pretty dispiriting to lose five nil. And, uh, and they should be flat too. I think quite a lot of them have failed to grasp the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm not saying that they won't get another one, but, you know, and starting right at the top, you've got Tim Payne in there. He's an interim captain. He was there on a trial basis. He said he'd be pretty keen to captain the ODI side as well as the test side. Why wouldn't he? But Tim didn't didn't grasp the opportunity. I think he averaged seven, didn't he? I think he made 36 runs for the series. And when you make 36 runs as captain in five games and then um, then you uh, lose 5-0, I can't see Tim keeping that job. And I, I reckon, well, I know that they're considering, you know, what they're going to do next with a one-day captaincy. And from there on down, I mean, AJ Ty had a pretty disappointing time. Very few of the batsmen did well, did they? So it was a, it was a grim series.
1: What's been the mood like around Justin Langer taking over the side? Because, you know, we've had Tim Payne at the press conferences after the games. Although he's, you know, been disappointed, he's been pretty clear that the Aussies have a plan, they're they're unified and, you know, they're working towards the World Cup despite, you know, getting smashed. Is that how it feels when you're up close that they have a plan?
2: They have a plan, but are they capable of following it through? And they weren't. Is a clear answer to that, isn't it? This thing, let's let's just pause for a second because this England side is as good a, an ODI outfit as I've seen for a long time. Uh, they place so much pressure on the opposition with the way that they bat, so much pressure on the bowlers and the batsmen really who follow up. I mean, we had um, Finch admitting, I think even after the second game, possibly even after the first game, that when he's batting. He, he's never sure when you're against England. You know, you think, is 310 going to be enough? Maybe I've got to put the foot down. So you're always second-guessing yourselves. And I've rambled down. What was the question? Oh, that's right. Do they have a plan? Yeah. Look, I think if you spoke to Justin Langer, he would he will tell you that there's a plan there, but there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. He's only just gotten hold of the team. He didn't choose the team. He has yet to sort of really put his imprimatur on how he wants them to play, how he wants them to train. He's only had them for you know a week or so before this series, so you know, he's he's had a look at the landscape. But uh, I think we'll be seeing changes, and we'll, you know you can't judge him yet or them twelve months down the track. Let's see how it's all going.
1: Yeah, I mean my initial feeling about the World Cup next year is that Australia may be leaving their run too late. I guess we'll, that's sort of will unfold over the next year, but it seems to me like they've given up a lot of ground.
2: Oh yeah, they've given up, well, given up a lot of ground. They've fought, what, They've fallen from first to sixth on the rankings, haven't they? And uh, they've been beaten by England almost every time they turn out against them. I'm not that nervous about the World Cup. I think that if you if you cast your mind twelve months forward, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins will all be available to bowl, or should all be available. Warner and Smith will be back. Mitchell Marsh can be back. There's uh, Nathan Coulton-Nile. There's a lot of big names that aren't here, and it will, will fold themselves into the, into the side. And Finchie noticed yes, noted yesterday that uh, it's England who are going to be under pressure in this World Cup because he says there's nothing harder than winning a World Cup at home, and it's going to be really hard when you've never won a World Cup.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not giving England a shot at the title. I, no way they can As good as they are, <laughs> you're,
2: not, over Indi- oh, you're th- backing India, mate.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think the I think the pitches are going to be turn a bit. They're going to have that sort of. ICC feel about them which will bring in the subcontinental nations and then it's a mm. bit of a lottery so with the the state of the Australian team I was sort of thinking that you know this is the perfect time for someone like Justin Langer to take over because he's got a bit of Bob Simpson about him like I think he's really going to work this team and and is he working them
2: oh god yeah god yeah uh, one one report that uh, Lang I had a coffee with Langer yesterday and he said he's got a, an absolute focus on getting their fitness right. He said that when he's had blokes in the WA team, go and join the Australia camp and then come back for WA over the past few years, they've uh, they said, you know, it, it's not as hard training with Australia as it is with WA. So JL's a real fitness focus, long sessions, lots of meetings interesting to know you know blokes like nathan lyon and that running back from training after long sessions just to impress the coach so yeah he's got a bit of the bobby hard work ethic about him uh that that's that's a definite change i think from darren not that darren let darren lehman let them be lazy on any chance but they just they'll be a hell of a lot fitter
1: your perfect time for a sort of hard taskmaster to to whip this team into shape. And I think that that kind of training can be bonding for a team. You know, when you put through your paces and really push yourself, it can bring a group together. Yeah,
2: that's a good point. Yeah, And I, and I think Lang is very big on all these sporting philosophies and team, you know, team and being united and all that stuff. So he'll bond them for sure. And what I also like about him is he, he, he's leaning on his old mates and his old mates that are the best in the business, aren't they? Perhaps, you know... The most successful Australian side for many decades. So, you know, he, he's had punter around him. He's a Ricky Ponting as an assistant coach. Ricky Ponting lifts every training session he ever visits. I, I noted one thing when Ricky Ponting quit the Australian team energy levels of training dropped noticeably because punter is just ball crazy and so competitive. So, having him mm-hmm. run's been really good, and you can see that the vote's really really look up to him, and he, he's absolute detail, man. Nothing nothing sort of escapes his glare at training. He's over, you know, your wrists are in the wrong position when you're playing that shot, your foot's here, maybe it should be there, talking to the bowlers. He's re- inspirational, I reckon. So he'll be good to have around the group. And also uh, Adam Gilchrist uh, mentoring a little bit too, which is, I think is fantastic for this uh, young team. And I think JL's very keen to use all of his former teammates and anybody around cricket, you know, who can help out. So he likes crowdsourcing a little bit.
1: That's good to hear. Sounds like uh, there's the right people with this young side. Now, I wanted to ask you about the the tone of the English crowds and journalists towards the Aussies after what happened in South Africa. I can imagine there'd be a little bit of turning their noses up at what went on in South Africa. What's been happening?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I arrived expecting that they'd get caned, and I'm disappointed to report that the English are sympathetic to Australia's position. They hardly got into the Australians at all. I think I think the fact that Australia played so badly contributed to that. It's pretty hard to mock people when they're, they're barely competitive as they were in some of the games.
0: Yeah, what about you know, the like journalists? There's just
2: one crack I reckon. One crack from one r- reporter the whole time I was there. They're all sort of staring at their toes a little bit like us. It, it, it's a strange reaction. The same, like the same thing got the same reaction when it happened in South Africa. Everyone just went quiet. Like uh,
1: I bet Mike Atherton was, was quiet. almost
2: too serious to make fun of. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So but
2: they had sympathy for us, manners, and that's the worst thing on earth. I'd rather they were
1: mocking us. <laughs> so from one terrible day to another. You were there for the 481 day at Trent Bridge. It was quite ironic just a couple of days before I asked Josh Hazelwood whether a team would give up 500 and then I thought it would be Australia. What was it like to witness that sort of carnage? I mean, 481 and 50 overs must have been something.
2: Yeah, it was, was something to witness and I said at the time, I think this is what, you know, you don't remember any one-day matches. They all blur into one. That one will stand out, but it was just, Constant boundary hitting. I'd never seen anything like it. It was, I think, it was twenty-one sixes and forty-one fours. At one stage, it looked like they were going to do five hundred easy, and it was very difficult to watch the bowlers. They hadn't, no, they had, they they had no answers to what the what those batsmen were doing to them. Tells you just how good that side is, doesn't it? They got some really good batsmen: Butler, Besto, Hales. <laughs> Stokes isn't even in the team. Yeah, I don't ever want to see that. <laughs> I don't ever want to see that again. I, I'm starting to think that it's bad for cricket. I mean, I I'm not starting to think. I know it's bad for cricket. The ball, you know, the bowler has just got to be more competitive in a, in a format. And using two balls takes reverse swing out of the late overs. Maybe it's the fielding restrictions. I don't know what it is, but a fifty-over batting fest like that, it's a bit unseemly. That stuff's okay for twenty twenty cricket, isn't it? For the circus,
1: yeah. They've they've tweaked the rules a little bit since the last World Cup and allowed, I think, one more fielder outside the ring. But I think it was what Sasha and Tandulka that tweeted recently that he once they changed from one ball to two balls, it it did it changed yeah. the dynamic between bat and ball and you know took out that reverse swing. But I guess he, the the problem was that that old ball used to get hard to see as, a, as in the crowd and on TV.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and and the old ball did yeah, using one ball I think contributed to those flabby middle overs, didn't it, where the ball's soft and hard to get away.
0: So, uh,
2: I'm not sure what the answer is, but uh it's a, an unedifying spectacle. Maybe I wouldn't have said that if it was Australians scoring 481 minutes. I don't
1: know. <laughs> I don't know. But look, your point's well taken because although it's test cricket, I'm watching the, the day and night test from the West Indies, and that's a, a game where ball's dominating, but it's so exciting. So, you know, you want to see the ball in the contest. And when you saw Billy Stanlake steaming and knocking over the palms in that last game, I mean, that's thrilling stuff. So you've got to get a bit of both in a game.
2: Yeah, yeah, well said. And, look, and one of the other few one day games that I remember was that, that match between Australia and New Zealand in the World Cup. Was it in Auckland? I can't remember. I was there. But uh, where the ball dominated and Mitchell Stark had it hooping round corners and uh, stumps were flying. Yeah, I, I'd prefer bowling porn to batting porn, but each to their own, mate.
1: Yeah, whatever you fancy. Now, I've done my the yeah. men's analysis of the series, so I'm going to fire a few points at you. Australia lost yeah. 24 wickets to Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid. I just think that's a huge danger, danger signs for the Australians that we're still losing wickets to spin. And as I said, with the World Cup next year, probably going to have favouring turn. I think that's something we really need to somehow work at.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's something they're very conscious of too. I mean in the fourth game they let Joe Root bowl out ten overs very early in the game and tie them down. So they have to work on that. They have to work on scoring sort of a three sixty degree arc, particularly against the slow bowlers. But so at least they know what they've got to do.
1: Yep, I agree. Now, they have to find a spot for Marcus Stoinis. He averaged 15 with the bat in this series. I'm not sure he should be at number three or four. I think he's a lower order player. Um, how do you see his future in the side?
2: Yeah, he didn't have a great series, did he? Um, I tend to just agree with you. He's a good player. They, they, they do need to bat him lower, but you know, they clearly had issues with the batting order. They were shuffling things around, trying things, and none of them really worked, did they? so he, he'll he'll go back down lower when when some batsmen return to the side next year, I
1: think now I think Australia should start to re-look at a few leg spinners for the World Cup next year I know with interest Swepson has come over for the T20s but Ashton Agar just, just not taking wickets in the middle overs and if you want to score the run if you want to restrict the scoring taking wickets through the middle is one way to do it so um, Lyon might come into that role but a leg spinner has been normally so effective in this form. Zampa did well a couple of years ago so I think you know looking at a leg-spinning option for the World Cup is important.
2: Do you think Swepson's the guy?
1: I'm not sure if he's the guy for in in the 50-over game. He's pretty good in the big bash. I didn't mind Zampa, and I know he had a few little issues towards the end there with his tenure in the Australian side, but I think someone like Zampa or Swepson really needs to be given a chance in the team.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you're right. You, need, you do need a wrist spinner, but you can't play a wrist spinner because you've got to have one. You've got to play a wrist spinner who's up to the task, don't mm. you? And that seems to be the issue at the moment we casting about. Don't give up on Ashton Agar. I mean, this is a brutal England attack, full of confidence at home. So let's see how he goes in the next series. He's handy with a bat.
1: Yeah, no, I like Agar. I just think we need other options. He's, he's more your sort of all-rounder. We need a wicket-taker, someone who's going to get wickets in those middle overs.
2: Who's, who's that kid in South Australia, young Pope? What about him? Can we Can we fast-track him?
1: Well, especially for against the Poms. He took eight for in the, yeah. the under-19. Now, I don't think Darcy Short is ready for international cricket yet. I think he's been found out at the top level. And I question this selection because you look at players like Usman Khawaja and Cam White who've missed out. You know they've done so well at domestic level, yet they're they're sitting on the sidelines. It's a, it's a baffling selection.
2: I'd, 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 I'm happy for it to have a look, that they've had a look at all these people in this series. I mean, Short averaged 41, so you know he, he was there and about the top of the innings, but he never actually got a fifty. I I don't understand why Usman Khawaja is not in the side. Yeah. I've tried my best to find out from the selectors and. Uh, <laughs> they're not. They're not very forthcoming on it. But uh, they apparently Usman knows what he's got to do. Usman says he doesn't. But uh, Usman deserves a place in this side. Um, he should have been here.
1: Yeah, we needed his class, and if anything, Langer could have got him a bit fitter. So that would have been good. The, the, next, the next point is um, an interesting one. So, Sean Marsh and Travis Head both did really well this series. Two centuries for Marsh, three fifties for Head. But I feel with both of them, they're the positions that are keeping the spots warm for Smith and Warner, or Warner and Smith. Warner and Finch will open up and Head will get turfed out. And Shaw Marsh will probably get replaced by Smith at the top of the order. So, the two bright sparks might not be there next year.
2: Yeah, well, that's a luxury though, isn't it? Talking about trying to squeeze in your better players, so I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, it's interesting that Marsh is the best-performed, isn't it? 35 years old and uh, sort of a bit of a pick out of the blue, but he had a great series. I thought he was—he's a very impressive batsman when he's going.
1: Well, I just know that when Justin Langer took over Western Australia, Sean Marsh had just been suspended for a, a T20 game when the Scorchers were on tour. He'd been partying a bit hard with Mitch Marsh and was suspended for a game for for doing something. He's probably staying out too late. And then Marsh uh, Langer came in and really told Sean Marsh, he needed to, to do this and this if he wanted to keep playing. So if anyone can get the best out of Sean Marsh, it would be Langer.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. In fact... When uh, Lang arrived back in WA to take that job, the first thing he did was drive to Sean Marsh's house and tell him that he had to lift or he wouldn't be playing for WA. He said, I'll still love you. I've known you since you were a boy and I love you, but I'm not going to pick you. You've got to pull your fingers out. And he, he's had a very good effect on Sean and on Mitchell Marsh as well, who he's made captain of the state.
1: Yeah, no, agree. So now the attention turns from the 50-over game to the 20-over game. They play in Birmingham this week and then they head to Zimbabwe for four games over there. Are you heading to Zimbabwe, Peter? Um, I'd love to go
2: to Zimbabwe, but I'm not gonna go to anywhere for a T twenty series. No.
0: Excellent. You watch T
2: twenty on the couch, mate. You know what I am doing? What? I'm going to New York to have a beer by myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Dead serious. In two days. I'm going to New York. Really? So, um, oh, excellent. I might look yes, I might look up that Manhattan bar where Smithy was having a drink, but I'll tell you one thing also, I won't be drinking Cause Light. <laughs>
1: God. <laughs> I don't think it'll also make news court papers this one, this you drinking in a bar.
2: Oh, yeah. No, no. Sad journo drinks alone is barely news, is it? No,
1: no. And, and it's all too common. That's the thing. Yeah. So, uh, moving on from the, the cricket in England, uh, I wanted to ask you about the interview I did with Josh Hazelwood for the show last week. I thought
2: it... Oh, good interview, man. It's good interview.
1: Thank you. Well done. I thought he yeah. came across as a really refreshing, insightful, intelligent young man that that really is ready to assume a leadership role within the Australian side, whether it's, you know, just in the dressing room.
2: Yeah, he did, didn't he? Well, he, he is, to note, um, he is in the leadership group, but you're right, he's um, you know that he's a country lad. He doesn't say much, but he observes. He hides his light under a bushel. I, I was listening to your interview with him he, Really, he's a smart kid, Josh Hazelwood, you know. Well, he's not a kid anymore, is he? But uh, thoughtful, and, and, you know, I think he, he's given a lot of thought to what happened in South Africa, and I like his conclusions. What was it he said again, that uh, focus on winning at all costs? Yeah, that was a... Contributed to what happened to the Exactly.
1: There that was, was co- good. And also, he talked about that it's it's one thing to sort of say and, and write down your expectations, but you've actually got to live them every day and that if someone's not meeting mm-hmm. those expectations, you've got to be able to pull them up. And I think that's what was missing in South Africa. When someone started to mm. go rogue, there was n- there was not that support unit to really pick them up.
2: No, no, that, I think that's clear. It, it sounds very Justin Langer to me, that little bit of what he was saying. And uh, I think he was, was he fresh from meetings with Justin Langer in Brisbane? He had yeah, he'd yeah, he been had up been there been with in Brisbane, the squad, yeah. hadn't he? Yeah, so... He, He's right about that. And, and it's good to see somebody reflecting on those things. Probably get thrown out of the fast bowling club for being intelligent and thoughtful.
1: And you'll be thrown but, out um, of the dressing room with those comments by the fast bowlers. They keep coming. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do want to thank Josh for opening up and it, it's always, you never know what you're going to get when you go into a room with a cricketer and how giving they're going to be and how many barriers they put up. But he, he was willing to talk and, I was just relieved the whole time I didn't have to face him bowling, so I was having a great time um, because he's a big unit. He's a very big unit. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, big and quiet. They're the the scary ones, aren't
1: they? Yeah. Now, before I let you go, Pete, I want to ask you and the listeners for some advice. Firstly, I'm going to throw this to the listeners. and This is a really important question. And listeners, if you've never got in touch with the show, this might be the, the question that prompts you to get in touch. I want to know if listeners find media news and gossip and sort of clashes within the media interesting or whether they just want us to talk about cricket on the show. So email me at ozcricketpod, that's ozcricketpod at gmail.com or you can tweet me at ozcricketpod and just let me know if it's something you're interested in, clashes in the media, what goes on behind the scenes. So that's to the listeners. Now... My second question is to you, Peter, is being experienced. Where's
2: this going? What's happened behind the scenes that I don't know about? Nothing
1: really, but I've been yeah. doing the News Corp podcast for a while and I've, I've stepped on a few toes and I've ruffled a few fre- feathers. A few people won't take my calls anymore. And I just want to ask you, Pete, <laughs> When yeah. you, should I be more careful? I mean, you were there when I um, brought up what Simon Mann said to you on the BBC. Should I... Just be nice to the media and let, let it go, or, or should, should I keep going? Keep having a crack when I want to.
2: All right, <laughs> oh, mate, I'm never going to tell anyone. I'm never going to tell anyone to tread carefully. Create, create a noise. Poke your stick at things. It's good. It's entertaining, and it needs to be done. Mate, we can't all be polite. Sometimes we've got to ask that woman to leave the cheese platter and get out of our restaurant.
1: Excellent. Well, you've answered my question. Thank you very much. Now we'll see what the (laughs) listeners have to say. Well, Pete, I'm going to let you get on with your day in Birmingham, a lovely city. I remember fondly being there for the 1999 one-day international between Australia and South Africa that finished in a tie. Good good, good Uh, times. I'll tell you what,
2: mate. We're in a heat heat wave here. It's 30 degrees.
1: Wow.
2: Poms with their shirts off everywhere. I'm too afraid to leave the room.
1: Go and find a local pool. That's what they do in England, a local chlorinated pool and have a swim. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I might swim in the canal, might be cleaner.
1: All right, well, enjoy the rest of your time over there, Pete, and we'll hopefully catch up when you get back.
2: Great chatting, man. See Cheers. ya.
1: That was Peter Lawler from the Australian newspaper. And remember, you can keep up with all the cricket action at theaustralian.com.au forward slash cricket or thedailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. All right, a couple of bits of news. Um, Great news for Android listeners that Google have launched their own podcast app. So if you've got an Android phone, try it out. On whatever app you listen to the show on, please rate and review the podcast. I will be reading all the new reviews out in the coming weeks. Please email the show at ozcricketpod at gmail.com and get back to me whether you want to hear more about media beefs and, and I'll answer any of your questions. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Then I'll be back in a moment with Richard Earl from the Adelaide Advertiser to talk about the week in cricket headlines and, uh, just before we come back, there's going to be um, some words from the new New South Wales captain, former Australian wicketkeeper, Peter Neville. All right, we'll be back in a moment with Richard Earle.
3: Um, you know, New South Wales, cricket New South Wales has been accustomed to a lot of success over the years and um, you know we're very determined to bring that back. Um, you know, it's been great so far. Phil Jakes has settled into his role well. Um, you know, we've obviously got a different looking player roster to what we did last year. A big focus for us moving forward is you know we've got some good senior players around the place. We're making sure we get plenty of knowledge transfer to you know bring on our younger players and, and get them upskilled as quick as we can to you know be ready to perform well when they get their chance in first class cricket. Peter, do you
1: feel like your less ab- abrasive approach to cr- playing cricket has been vindicated in the last
3: few months? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, I was saying yesterday to, to somebody else that's, you know, people will go about performing at their optimal level in different ways you know some people thrive off getting in a bit of a verbal contest some people don't but a lot of the reasons that people do that is to get themselves in that optimal space and you know I'm comfortable with people doing whatever they need to do to be in their optimal space we want to be winning games of cricket that's the focus for me and whichever way you go about doing that personally I think it's a good way to go about doing it
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. Men is here and I have on the line now the cricket writer from the Adelaide Advertiser making his debut on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Richard Earle. Hi Richard, how are you?
0: Thanks for having me, it's great, great to be here.
1: Now that was Peter Neville just speaking after his appointment to be made New South Wales captain. It was interesting. Yeah. He played a very straight bat to the question <laughs> I asked him about vindication for his way of playing cricket. But I think it's clear now that he comes out of all this cultural review looking very good.
0: Yeah, he does, man. Part of me wanted to see him show a bit of that mongrel I wanted to see from on, on the field in the first place, which, which is why he got dropped uh, after that South African mishap. and. Um, in Hobart 2016 but uh, look he, he did he did play a, a bit of a straight bat I guess if anyone uh, exemplifies the kind of attitude and just uh, just stick to your game and, uh, and not worry about external things and um, and infighting and fighting well he he represents that look he's a bloke that can definitely uh, feel he was a bit hard done by I, I guess his only his only issue was his, he average I guess he averaged 22 over 17 over 17 tests. And he'd probably like to improve that. But I guess he, he, he gets that chance. He can get some nice um, figures to back up a, another um, another spot on that next Ashes tour.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to press him a bit more in his answer, but I, I just thought I'd leave it. It wasn't the right forum. I'm hoping. ...to get him on the podcast in the future... ...and we can talk about his approach to cricket... ...in a little bit more depth. All right, now Richard, I've got you on the phone... ...to go through the week in cricket headlines. It's always brought to you by the Daily Telegraph... ...but because you're here, the headlines this week... ...are brought to you by the Adelaide Advertiser... ...News Corp's masthead in Adelaide. And the first headline is... ...that one of our intrepid reporters, Ben Horn, ...is in Canada to follow Smith & Warner's... ...return to cricket... What are you expecting when we see them back out playing?
0: Uh, I, I expect more of the same. I mean, these are two blokes; it's just trigger. who scored forty percent of our of our runs over the last four months. Class doesn't leave you. Yeah, my, my only my only minor concern is what kind of uh, preparation they do have, and obviously Ben will be coming over there in, in Canada, and hopefully they get to. Maybe play an issue final. Hopefully they get to play some sort of meaningful cricket in between. But I still think the absolute class of these two guys. I mean, these two guys will retire as, as, as legends of the game. So I think they'll come back and, and, and produce some like they always have. But hopefully we can arrange them with some decent cricket in between.
1: I think it's going to be a big step down in professionalism for these guys. You know, used to being sort of... Uh, chaperoned around within the Australian cricket team, given royal treatment the whole time. Now they'll be in this sort of fledgling competition. I can imagine it's, you know, still being established, you know, small grounds. It's going to be just a big change for those two. Look, I, I
0: actually think that's a great thing, man. I, I, I love the fact that they're getting outside of the cricket bubble. I love the fact that they'll be, you know, rocking up the grounds, carrying their own kits, and having organised their own, you know, accommodation. I've already heard great reports from some of the work they've been doing up at the National Cricket Academy with the National Performance Squad. Jake Weatherall, um, South Australian bats has been raving about the the, uh, the contribution of both Warner and Smith uh, just recently up there. So. They're actually putting back into the game at the moment, and I see going to some of these kind of things as a as a real circuit breaker for them. There was probably nothing sadder than seeing those images of of Smith um, Steph Smith having a beer by himself in that in that pub uh, recently. But I just think this this is a part of a way of a yeah. You know, it's a, it's a cathartic thing. You're working your way back. Uh, to a place where you want to be and I don't know if necessarily think it's a bad thing going through what they're going through now to, to get to where they want to
1: be. Absolutely agree with you, Richard. All right, the second headline is that East Australia are still heading to Zimbabwe for the upcoming T20 tournament with Pakistan and Zimbabwe despite some growing tensions in the country leading up to a July 30th election in Zimbabwe. The two are still going ahead and look, three interesting players that come into this T20 side, leg spinner Mitchell Swepson, Nick Maddinson, batsman who was from New South Wales but can't get a state contract, is it still considered to be one of our best T20 players, and Jake Wildermuth who did so well for the Strikers last summer in the mm. Big Bash, three exciting players coming in there.
0: Yeah, I mean I think the from my experience the most the biggest problem with the barber is just keeping the power on it in some hotels and <laughs> at the ground um, it sort of runs on off. I remember Jason Gillespie from when he was coaching over there he had to make sure he'd communicate with his players on and off because you never know when the, the phones or the fridge or the uh, or, or everything was gonna uh, turn off. But
1: yeah, <laughs> Could it be it a challenge cool for the boys there. playing in the dark.
0: Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge is getting some proper sleep and Knowing what's going on. Look oh, look look, I, I heard it was a bit of a bomb blast over there. Hopefully everything's okay. Um, obviously with the hole been um quite un unstable over there, but you'd like to think they do get some decent cricket um up the hole, you know, i think been there for about three or four weeks, but it's a decent series. So you'd like to to think that cricket in that part of the world really gets a bit of injection of life it needs and, and, and as you said, there's some some really um Exciting young players. Um, Madison, Madison is an extraordinary one for me. He can't get a, a state deal, but he's over there with the with the national team. I'm, I'm not quite sure what's going on there.
1: do you want him in Adelaide?
0: Uh, no, no. There, there was. I, I'm, excuse me, I actually um yeah inquired about that, but no, there was no approaches. Made from. I actually thought it was going to Victoria, there was, but there was no approach, approaches made from Stackers.
1: Tasmania is looking pretty good then for Nick.
0: Yeah, I think I think that could be the maybe one of the destinations for him. Um, but at the, the last start, there was no, no biting from Stacker unless something's changed um, recently. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see him out at um, Tasmania. But yeah, so there's lots of lots of guys. Um, Alex Gary on his first boot, first full tour there would like to make a, a bit of an impact. I think as, as the vice captain, so it's give me a, you know a few a few guys a few points to prove after what's happened in the um, ODIs.
1: Yeah, and look, it's a good time for Australian viewers. It sort of starts early evening, these games yeah. in Australia, so you'll be able to watch them live, which will be good. All right, the next headline, and this is a big one. Since the last podcast, my Future Tours program has been locked down, as has Australia's international program. So I know what I'm doing for the next five years and what cricket I'm watching, and Australia knows what who they're playing the new program is centered around the new test championship and a 13-team one-day international league that will act as qualification for the 2023 world cup the test championship will see the see the top nine teams in the world each play six series over a two-year cycle with the top two teams to then play a final in england on in june 2021 now here's where it gets interesting for australia our three home opponents are new zealand pakistan and india to so what series against new zealand and pakistan next summer and then india the summer after i think they're pretty good home fixtures interesting india are coming out basically twice in three years
0: yeah i yeah i didn't uh i, I can't <laughs> explain why that would that's a to tour so regularly, uh, you know, twice in three summers. But again, they're, they're always crowd pullers. They bring in the cash. Something's always happening when, when in is here. So uh, I, I guess better that than a, you know maybe a series with a, you know, you're trying to get West Indies through a, through a summer in Australia. So uh, no, that'd be really, really exciting. Men uh, is having that first up. Uh, and obviously, you got uh, obviously New Zealand coming in there for, for for a Boxing Day test as well. So we'll see what kind of uh, crowds they can draw. Draw.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if they're big enough draw cards for Boxing Day. I mean, I, I think we've got to give them a chance and see how it goes because you know they've played exciting cricket for a, a number of years now, and they're just across the Dutch. So maybe we'll get yeah. a few a few people flying over from New Zealand for the occasion. So that's next summer, New Zealand, Pakistan. The summer after when India comes, they're playing four tests, and then outside yep. the Test Championship, we're playing a one-off test against Afghanistan, and I think that's great.
0: Look, anyone who's seen Rashid Khan and uh, what, what he's brought to the table, you know what? Um, Australia's record against is isn't that great, and um, they've got a couple of decent ones in Afghanistan, so that might be a bit closer than uh, some people think, but I reckon that's, just, if that, that, that's really investing in the game, and uh, having a one-off test against them, I 100% support. Just back on New Zealand, I, I, I was actually there in 1987, at the MCG with, with my dad when um, Mike, Mike Whitney and I think uh, it was Billy McDermott kept out um, Richard Hadley and he, Richard Hadley got two weeks that game but it was a, re- a really engrossing draw. I think, I think that was the last time they had a boxing out test there but um, that was for New Zealand but that was um, really exciting. So they got some decent players. Williamson, Taylor, BJ Watling coming through, Ish Shady. So you know, they, they rise to the occasion and they weren't far off as well their last time they visited. the only Dave waters. He got 592 runs in that series two years ago, three years ago. So They push us all the way in that series, so you'd like to think they could hopefully do the same again.
1: Yeah, and where I think it gets really difficult for Australia with this first cycle of the test championship is yeah we've got three difficult away series so the first series of the test championship is our ashes tour to england next year i mean we haven't won there since 2001 that's going to be a really uphill battle then we've got bangladesh away and south africa away now we drew one all in bangladesh and we we know what happened in south africa it was the tour from hell so you know those three series away are going to be really challenging and I think, you know, we've got a really tough qualification period if we want to be in that top two test test championship.
0: Well, we know most sides struggle away at the moment, and I'll tell you what, you know, on, look, on, on current form, you couldn't see uh, currently... I, don't, I couldn't see Australia winning any of those series. Uh, I reckon um, Bangladesh would be a real real concern playing on those pitches over there. I reckon and our, our pace will be blunted with the, with the pitches, so that's a major concern. Uh, we want to, as you said, the, the ashes and we've had some pretty good teams that have lost over there since 2001 so that's no good and then going back to the to the scene of, to the face of uh, of Sandpaper Gate, you know in 18 month's time I guess an attack that's still going to have Gajisa Rabata and uh, all those some pretty high, high calibre guns there is going to be extremely difficult so as you said, trying to get to the, into that Lord's uh, final in, in a few years' time would be a, a pretty hard ask.
1: Very hard. Now, a few other things to come out of the, the new Future Tours program. The five-test Ashes series will, has been preserved under the new structure, but it will mm. probably be the only five-test series between almost any countries, especially Australia's involved. They're now reshaping international summer to just have five test matches for Australia at home and six one-day internationals at home per season. I think that's a a, a good structure. I would prefer six test matches because I love test cricket. But that, I think, gives enough room for the games to have some meaning and the Big Bash to breathe around it.
0: I think going forward you're gonna see on you know when we actually do have the summers when the, the lesser team or the lower teams are actually tearing if the big bash league will actually supersede <laughs> test cricket. That's that's sort of my view because obviously the big bash league's being extended, people love it. So we're just gonna be careful there and, and only having five tests probably makes that sometimes a, a bit a bigger chance of, of happening, but you do you've got to strike a of a happy medium. Five tests, you know, in the summer is about the minimum I'd like to see. obviously I'd like to see one more like like yourself but it's just striking the happy balance. And at the same time, Cricket Australia knows they have to give the fans what they want and they do love um, their big special league.
1: And some really good news for Australian fans that Australia will not be touring India until October, November 2022. So we have a good four years to improve our play against spin. And... You know, after what we've seen <laughs> recently, I'm, I'm glad that's not for a few years.
0: It's sort of sweet and sour, I'd imagine, because Justin Langen, I think he said in his first presser after being appointed coach, that winning in India is the whole it would be the holy grail of his coaching reign. And we all know how hard it's been to it win over there. It took 35 years to win one with our, with our you know invincibles, and then it's been pretty much downhill ever since. So trying to go back there and win again. maybe it's a good thing it won't be for a few years.
1: Exactly. All right, now let's just turn our attention quickly to the one-day international league that's been established. So it'll run from May 2020 after the World Cup to March 2022 and it'll be 12 Test Playing Nations plus the Netherlands, so that's 13 and the top seven teams in that league over the two years qualify straight for the 2023 World Cup so it's like a qualifying tournament and I really like it because I think it gives one day international cricket the context that everybody is craving I mean you know you can imagine had this series in England been part of a, a qualification for the World Cup how much more interest that would have garnered
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more, Adrian. I mean, like just, just for years and years, we've just watched um, sort of mindless, you know, series just ebb on and on and on with no meaning. Um, the players, you know, there's no nothing on the line. That the passion isn't always there. But now, now there's context. Now there's clarity. Now there's. There's something to aim for. I think that's massive. It's massive for the players and it's massive for the viewers because they can actually see a pathway and you know why the why things you know why there might be, be high stakes um, in certain matches. So I, that's one thing the ICC has got right. Next thing we got to do is just try and actually win a win an ODI ourselves.
1: <laughs> Otherwise, we might not make the World Cup directly. <laughs> That'd be That's what, well, we've got the
0: worst record over the last 12 tw- months of any, any other top 10 nations, so it's not looking too
1: good. All right, so that was the International Future Tours Program or the Men's Future Tour Program. Um, now, let's talk about the domestic schedule that was released for next summer. There's a few key points to come out of it. Firstly, the 50 over comp. The Cricket Australia 11 has been dumped from that competition. What do you think of that decision? I
0: think it's serve its purpose. So I was a bit uncomfortable to be honest about it. During while they were playing that side, I couldn't see the reason behind it. Their reason was they wanted to expose younger players and they, I might have had some senior players clogging up the system so they wanted to inject experience into this in young guys. So I think that has been achieved. As they've noted, um, over the past few years, some of the guys have graduated out of that CAX1 side and um, gone on to bigger and better things. But now it's about, about the right time. I think we can just go back to our state systems. And, and I think I I, 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 I'm, I was a bit concerned about spreading the talent a bit too thin um, with that many sides. So I think I've got got about the right, the right mix back again now.
1: Yeah, and there, I think it was just took away from the comp. There were some easy runs there for some of the more experienced Correct. players when they came up against the the CA-11. Yeah. The final of the JLT Cup will be at the new Junction Oval in Victoria. They they have a system now where the, the six teams play basically a qualification and then they all go into the finals. So you're going to have the, the top two getting straight through to hosting basically a semi-final and then three through six place in a, a ladder fighting out to go in the semi-final. So everybody plays in the finals which has kind of been criticised because, I don't know, where's the cut through. Nature in the comp, but I don't know. The, the devil's advocate in me says at least it gives more fifty-over cricket to domestic players, and uh, I think it's it's not a bad thing. But I can see why it's been criticised. I well, know everyone's
0: a winner, eh? And uh, in the, <laughs> under this one, you, you still get a chance no matter what you do in that, in that regular season round. I actually hundred percent agree. Uh, I think that anything that gives you know younger players and, and domestic players a chance to play more one-day one cricket is absolutely crucial. And if, that's, if this is about if this delivers, is well. Uh, I'm all I'm for it. Oh, look, I've got to say, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of the old well, These, you know, between 2000, I think, and then 2011, they had the, the double round, uh, round robin system. They might have a, a Friday night game and then you'd have uh, the Shield get matched starting from, you know, Sunday through the week. That's the kind of thing with a minimum of 10 games. That's the kind of thing I used to love. And one day, if I could go back to that, that'd be fantastic. But I guess we're, we're stuck with what we've got at the moment. Because in, in a place like South Australia, we haven't really seen any. In domestic one-day cricket for the last oh, six, seven years. Uh, so it's been a total wasteland here. And the, the whole generation of young kids who haven't seen domestic one-day cricket.
1: I don't like that. and I would like a double split. So I would like them to split yeah. both the Shield and the 50-over competition and play some at the beginning and some at the end. And that is because yeah. I, I have no doubt that the intensity... In the 50 over comp is a little bit down because it's seen as a pre season comp and the players are Correct. still getting into their groove. Whereas if you had the pointy end of the tournament at the end of the summer with the Shield, at least then at the end of the season there would be really something on the line when the players are prime.
0: Well, this this season they've only got, for once, they've actually got something to play for because they got that South Africa series which um, followed the JLT series in October, September, October. But normally you play that series in October. And they're not playing one day until four months later. So there's absolutely absolutely no. 4 meeting to it once, once those uh, teams national teams get picked.
1: Now, the Sheffield Shield will have five Shield rounds before the first test against India. Smith and Warner could return for the Shield final if New South Wales were to make the final. I'm really disappointed that there's no day-night Shield cricket this summer. I think that's a big miss. One thing I did enjoy was turning on day-night Shield cricket in the afternoon. I think that's an area of growth that the Shield's missing out on.
0: I think it is. That was one thing we noticed, sort of covering some of those games. There'd be sort of a bit more. Um, there was higher traffic, um, I guess, following the actual games. Higher traffic following some of the stories you might write, and it was more accessible. People would get home and have a bit of a look at it on the on the website. So uh, I'm I'm disappointed because if that's if pink ball cricket's the future of of of, of test cricket, well, we should. I think we should still be playing it regardless of whether India decides to uh, be recalcitrant. Or not.
1: Agree. All right. Now, the last cricket headline before I let you go, Richard, is the Sri Lankan skipper Dinesh Chandamal was found guilty of ball tampering and suspended for the recent test match in the West Indies. He did a little bit of a faff du placé from Hobart a couple of years ago yes. and was caught, really obviously caught, you know, taking some saliva from a mint and putting it on the ball. You know, what's really galling is, you know, the day after this came out, they, the Lankans wouldn't even take the field. They were they were protesting, they, they cost themselves two hours of cricket and probably a chance of winning the game in the end, so it really came back to haunt them, but I guess what does this incident say about what happened to Australia and our reaction to the ball-tampering affair?
0: Look, Andrew, I've I've been strong on this from from the start. I I thought the way the self-flagellation and the way we basically self-destructed and and the way we destroyed ourselves on, on the international stage... I, I, I'm still still actually coming to grips with that. I just cannot understand what happened um, during that period. There is there is no way Steve Smith and, and, and Warner should have been banned for for a year. I
1: mean, uh,
0: Chan will, you know, he might get what he got one or two games.
1: Yeah, one game. I think there
0: was an appeal, one game, and there was there was appeals ongoing. Oh, it just it just staggers me. There could be an absolute double standard in the way uh, things are viewed and and the bans imposed. I mean, the ICC wanted to hand hand. Our guys are one match ban and we we give them a year. Yet you see another, another country refusing to even you know admit admit any wrongdoing and 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 refusing to punish their own players and, and and trying to get out of it and they refusing to take the field. So if I if I'm sitting there, if, I, if I'm if I'm Cam Bancroft sitting there, seeing my whole test career um, destroyed and and seeing such, this kind of thing happen on the, on the other side of the world, I'd be I'd be ropeable. And the other thing I've noticed um, in in all these incidents we've had what we've had seven and seven of his flashpoints um, since that 2006 walk-off, you know, with and Eng- against England at the Oval. You know, it- it's the host broadcasters who show, show what's going on here. So mm. every single time it's happened, it's always been the host broadcaster who has shown the visiting team and trying to find something they're doing we all know that everyone uses mint mint every every country uses mints whatever they can do to try and change the shape of the ball and, and try and seek an advantage but it's only the visiting teams on these bodies host you know that are being you know i guess singled out by these host broadcasters so it's just a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a it's one of the hardest things in the game because we know everyone does it except if you get caught that's, that's when the proverbial hits the fan so it's, I just think we, we really have to find some sort of consistency on, the, on this issue. So you'd just love to see the ICC be a bit stronger and just, just I guess, show a bit more leadership um, on this issue.
1: Well, Richard, that is the week in cricket headlines. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Take care, Richard, and we'll catch up again. Thanks a lot, bud. That was Richard Earl from the Adelaide Advertiser. Thanks for joining us. And thank you to the listeners for downloading and listening to the podcast again. There will be another episode next week where we'll cover the Feast of Cricket that is coming your way in the next week. Remember... Ben Horne and News Corp are in Canada to follow Steve Smith and David Warner's return to cricket action. So log on to your local News Corp site to keep up with that. Thanks again for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. I've been your host, Andrew Mensel. You can find me on Twitter at Ameners or at Pod. Get back to me about that question I had for you regarding the media coverage within this podcast and we'll be back next week with another show. Bye. Uh-huh.